Hello and welcome to another episode of the Villa Talks podcast. We're back after quite a while off actually. It's been uh, probably a month or so um, and what a time to come back. I'm joined by AJ from the VBB crew. AJ, how are you mate? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. I'm very good. Yeah, enjoying it. Enjoying a little holiday in Scotland. So, um, nice. Yeah, no nice. work. No work. No work this week. I'm just uh, sitting in my father-in-law's study, looking out over some Scottish hills as the uh, sun gently fades behind them. Enjoying your time there. You were saying you went to the beach earlier today. I did. Yeah. 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 Very unusual weather for Scotland. Twenty-two degrees, sunny. Went to uh, the home of golf. And uh, sat, nice. on the, sat on the beach all day, and uh, well, I didn't really sit because I had two small children with me. But um, I was at I was at the beach, following small children around and making sure they didn't drown. Nice, good work, mate. Nice, perfect yeah. weather for it. Then that sounds it was, bit... yeah, and much much better than going to the other St Andrews. Yeah, well, well put, well put. Let's not talk about that. Let's not let's not mention that ground on this pod. <laughs> but okay. AJ, what a fucking week, mate. Or what a few days, even. It seems like yeah. a week, but it's been a few days only, really. Yeah, it's been mad, hasn't it, mate? I mean, I because I'm on on my holes. Uh, I try and uh, stay off the the Twitter when I'm on my holes. So I think I've kind of missed a bit of the sort of hysteria uh, and fury and the sort of false hope and you know, it's been a bit of a roller coaster week, hasn't it? And I, I've kind of experienced it through the whatsapp with the various twitter goings on that you guys have been sharing and you know pictures of jack at the training you know the training away days and all that sort of stuff so i've kind of been on i feel like i've been on the edge of it uh a little bit which maybe gives me a slightly different uh, uh perspective sort of immune from the the social media hysteria of it which is is unlike me because i'm normally on Twitter pretty much 24 hours a day. So, um, yeah, it's good to have a bit of a break, but it's just been interesting, particularly this week, that I haven't been in the sort of midst of uh, all of those goings on in the way that I normally would be. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, I mean, we've obviously been conversing on on WhatsApp, um, all of us uh, on our BBB group that we've got. And uh, it's fair to say there's been a lot of anger flowing around Um mixed with a bit of uh logical and rational thinking which i think yourself and yara have uh have sort of helped us with really for the rest of us who've got who've got the anger in the group because I, th- I think you've got definitely got a different perspective on things because you like you say you haven't been involved in the, the social media for all and what's been going on uh, and sort of looking at it from a different perspective i'll, I'll be interested to hear about that once we touch on that subject um we'll, we'll, we'll sort of i think we'll think we'll, me and aj were talking about this we're thinking about how should we do this should we touch on liam bailey first ings then Jack, but actually, I think the, probably the best way to do it is actually just go through the timeline of events that have happened um, over the last few days and, and possibly even before that. Um, I think that probably the best way to do it because it's been a hell of a ride, really. It's been a bit of a roller coaster of emotions. I know it's a cliche to say that, but it really has. Uh, it's yeah. been un- unbelievable. Obviously, we've had the hashtag Villa Spaces on Twitter with with Ty and uh, uh, the, the stats guy. I can't remember his name. Stay, I think his name is. Um, you know, uh, Villa Analytics, sorry, yeah, that's it. Uh, with their with their sort of regular therapy session, almost that they've been having, which are you know loads and loads of people have been joining, which has been great um, and really enjoyable. Um, there's been ups and downs. There's been almost tears, joy. It's been it's been all sorts. But 
let, let's start with, with the Jack stuff first and then move on as things have unfolded. Mm. Obviously, uh, there's been you know, pre-match, uh, but sorry, pre-season games that we, that have happened. There's no point going on into them because they've been covered on other pods. They've been covered everywhere. There's no point even talking about it. Uh, we just don't, don't have enough time. But obviously, with Jack, the rumors about a release clause were out there in the ether uh, with various journalists putting it out there. Um, and I saw a lot of this on Twitter, and obviously, I, I couldn't really say much. Uh, but I, I definitely had some intel on that, and and it turned it turned out to be fairly accurate in the end that there was indeed a release or at least an agreement of some sort. Um, mm. And Villa fans, I was always a bit wary because Villa fans were so confident when they're on Twitter. AJ, yeah, uh, this was back in during the Euros almost when news was coming out, and even before then that Jack didn't have a release course. The owners would never sell. He was going to stay, and there was almost this sort of dismissal of Man City. Uh, Man City's interest, um, which I was always a bit reluctant to to jump on top of, because in this day, day and age, you just you just never know. Yeah. What were your thoughts before all this all these weeks unfolded when you heard about Man City's interest and 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 potentially Jack looking to go there? Were you always of the view that it makes sense, or were you thinking it would never happen? Um, I. I always kind of felt, regardless of whether there was a release clause or or not, really, if if someone came in who's you know one of the genuinely elite clubs of which Man City is now one, uh, you know, we can talk about how they how they got there and you know whether their history and all that sort of stuff justifies them counting as an elite club. But there's no question they are now one of the top clubs in Europe, in the world, whatever, you know, won the league at a cancer last season, losing Champions League finalists, win every League Cup going, uh, you know, could easily have uh, got to the FA Cup final last season. Oh, they're, they're a genuinely elite club. There's a few others around, but most of them have got no money at the moment. Um, I was always of the view that regardless of his um love for the club and he there's no doubt he loves the club you know people will question that now uh and whether he meant all the things that he said but you know uh it, there was no doubt that, and still no doubt that that he loves Aston Villa I don't think but I still always thought if someone uh, one of those genuinely elite clubs came in with a blockbuster bid you know 100 million quid whatever regardless of any release clause uh, Jack would have a decision to make and it was always going to come down to Jack because at the end of the day if he didn't want to play for the club uh, anymore because those offers were on the table um, the owners were always going to have a problem regardless of whether there was a release clause in place um, or not and I'd, I've been saying that all year pretty much um, and it was always going to be down to Jack to make that decision and um, you know he's he's made it and I, I'm not angry about the decision that he's made I, I I'm going to sound like a sort of, I am a dad, so I'm going to sound like a dad now. I'm not angry, but obviously I'm disappointed. I'm upset. <laughs> um, I, you know, uh, but I, I thought um, Football 365 wrote a piece about a week ago, 10 days ago, something like that, that I thought was really fair and really balanced and sort of said that the decision he's making is between um, a kind of career-oriented decision that we all have to make in our careers and lives, but particularly for footballers, they have a very short career. He's already almost 26. You know, he's got probably 10 years left, if that, um, uh, at, the, at the top level. Um, and a, a genuine, he is a genuinely world-class player. And, you know, 
I wish this wasn't the case, but players at the end are often judged on on what they've won. Um, and, you know, we have to be realistic about, yes, we've made a huge amount of progress, but we finished 11th last season and that's our best finish for a decade. Uh, and the progress that we have made is almost like the easy bits. The next step is the much harder, much harder one. Um, now, now, what has he given up? He's given up the chance to be an Aston Villa legend. This was the other side of the piece that Football 365 wrote. And actually, they were kind of down on this, coming down on the side of, wouldn't it be nice for football in general if he stayed? Uh, and if Manchester City can't just, you know, buy all of the best talent despite having finished... Um, uh, won the league by 12 points last season uh, they can't still go out and buy you know Grealish and they may still get Kane as well and get even further ahead of everyone else and uh, you know he's given up the chance to be you know he's still for me the best player I have seen play for Villa and I include Paul McGrath in that uh, I've said before um, you know I know people who've who've watched the Villa all the way back since the European Cup team who say the same but he's no longer going to be a Villa legend because he's not achieved anything with the the club. He, you know, he, he got us promoted, uh, he kept us up and he was integral last season, but he was integral in a team that finished 11th, you know, and that's not what makes you a legend. Whereas if he'd stayed, you know, even if he'd won a trophy here or there, he, he was never going to win anything like what he did, uh, what he will win at City. But he, he's given up that opportunity uh, to be remembered in the way people like um, Letitia are remembered for Southampton and people like that. And, you know, I said this to you guys earlier. He's also, however good he will be at City, and I think he'll be incredible. I wouldn't be surprised if he wins Player of the Year next season. Pep will improve him. We'll probably come back and talk about that a bit more uh, later on, perhaps. He's not going to be a legend at Manchester City, whatever he does. He's not going to be Vincent Company, who came along just before the big takeover and was their captain and leader and all of that. He's not going to be Phil Foden, who's already got a head start on winning trophies at that club, who's from Stockport, who's, you know, he is the Foden is the equivalent of what Jack could have been for us, but at a club that was elite when he when he started. Um so he's not, you know, whatever he achieves at Man City, he's not going to be one of the players that they remember out of their many, many world-class players that play for the club and will go through the club. So it's not just that he's given up being a legend at Villa, he's, he's sort of given up being a legend anywhere, uh, in my view. So, you know, that was the choice that he's made and he's made the kind of the rational career decision and, and that's fine. But as football supporters, we're emotional and we're emotional about our, our club. Um and so we're all upset and some people are angry and that's totally understandable because, you know, and the other thing, apart from being sad as a Villa fan about it, is being sad as a football fan about it and sort of, you know, I tweeted this a while ago, but yeah. if you've got a player who definitely loves the club, has played for you since they were six years old, um, is your club captain, uh, you've got the third richest owners in the league, you've got a team that's progressing and yet Man City come along and you still can't hold on to that player, then what what chance has anyone else got? And, uh, you know, the, the uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just rambling on now, I guess, mate. But, um, yeah, it's more, I'm more sad than, than angry about it all, to be honest. It, it kind of, it, it's, it's depressingly 
inevitable that this was going to happen. If it didn't happen this year, it would have been next year. Um, so yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, there's no real there's, there's no real story like it, is it? Really, at the moment in football, it was almost like the last the last hope real football fans had and, and you saw it really with and I'm not saying not every single fan's like this obviously some fans hate Villa don't care that he's gone I'm quite glad he's gone but there was a lot of fans of sort of what I call real football fans you know Leeds, Everton, West Ham these types of fans who yeah. got probably similar stories there you know with some of their players that they've had or, or do have now uh, where they were hoping Grealish stayed and almost you know said a bit big fuck you basically to, to Man City and 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 almost like it would have been a win for football if he had stayed. Um, and it's a difficult one. I mean, I think you've, you know, what you've said there is completely rational. It's completely understandable. And I think some, so a lot of fans will probably be thinking the same thing. Uh, you know, they won't be angry. Well, they'll be angry and disappointed, but they won't, you know, wish ill on Jack or anything like that. But at the same time, they won't wish him the best. You know, they, they don't want him to do well because he's no longer our player. So what, why do we care? But it's it's just one of those, and it? it's just it's just like you say, it's a sad in, sad indictment for football. And I think your tweet, yeah. which I, which, I, which I was going to raise myself actually, which I'm I'm glad you did, is is exactly right. You know, it's just it's just a sad indication of where we are in this sort of timeline of football history, if you like. Uh, you yeah. know, the the money phase uh, where it's destroying everything really, and it's destroying everything that we love about football, and it, it's just sort of difficult. Um, to get upbeat about it but you know we move on we push on and you know we've seen today what the owners are about um and we'll talk a little bit about ffp as well uh, i'm going to do another pod on that uh, probably next week or so but potentially this money coming in now for for jack is going to be it's going to revolutionize our squad it's going to help us sustain our squad and build for the next few years now obviously we would love to have jack in the team and playing and be a part of the squad but potentially there is there is a Coutinho type situation here uh, at play. There's a, there's almost like a Leicester type situation at play here where we're getting money in for our best player or best players. And there's a potential to rebuild something even better, uh, which, which we'll touch on in, in a second with, with the Bailey and Ings news as well. But just quickly before we move on to that, obviously the £100 million release clause we mentioned already. I've seen people say, talking about the owners and saying, why have they accepted it? What, why is there a release clause? Why have the owners done this? But end of the day, I think people need to realise when a player signs a new contract, it's there to protect the interest of the player and it's there to protect the interest of the club. Um, I imagine there probably was some sort of release clause or something there in the contract before Jack signed it uh, last year, in all, in September last year. And when he signed a new contract, the idea was it was sort of helping him secure his financial future at the same time protecting the club uh, You know, if, if a bid did come in uh, for, for a player. And, and at the end of the day, £100 million, this time last year, in September last year, even uh, that was ridiculous value, wasn't it, AJ? Really, let's be honest. You know, yeah. th- there's no what, not no what, no Premier League player has gone for 100 million pounds yet, and Jack Grealish is the first one to go. And you know, Jack Grealish, if you think about it, what has he done at Villa? Yes, he was you know, a massive prospect when he first came out. He's had this year, these years of, of nothingness, really, where he's he's sort of almost wasted his talents and he's rebuilt himself. Uh, but you know, let's let's not forget under Steve Bruce, we didn't get promoted with Jack Grealish at the team. Under Dean Smith, we was really we were still struggling with Jack Grealish in the team, uh, and then when Tyra Mings came into the team in January, that's when all our, our, our sort of fortunes changed. Alongside, obviously, Jack coming back in and, and that ten game winning streak. I'm not saying 
it, you know, it was nothing to do with it. Obviously, he was Jack Rich was the main part of it, but there's a lot of factors involved here. He didn't just take us on his shoulders and, and carry us there. There was other players involved. Likewise, in the Premier League, the first season, you know, we without COVID break with Jack Rich and the team, we would have got relegated. There's no doubt about that. It was because of the COVID break we were able to sort our defense out and play a different way. And then when we came back after the post-COVID break, Jack didn't really play that well. Let's be honest. It was Trezeguet's goals that helped us keep. It's in the mix. And then in the last game, obviously, Jack Grealish, when we needed him to, stepped up and, and did the job. And he will take all the headlines, but there's there's plenty of factors involved in all of this, I, I think. Jack Grealish is 80% the factor, but there's probably 20% other things involved in this. So I, I think we need to be conscious of that. And even last season, you know, like you said, we, we finished 11th. And realistically, with Jack, without Jack getting injured, we probably would have finished top six, I think, or top seven. Even then, what we're aiming for is top four. So we're way away from where Man City are. We're way away from, you know, challenging for titles. But in my opinion, this is what I tweeted out at the time. Um, winning one trophy with Aston Villa, whether it's a League Cup, FA Cup, whatever it is, it's worth 10 times to me as a Villa fan than winning anything with City. However, I'm not a professional footballer. So Jack's mindset will be completely different at the end of the day. I, I hope, he th- and I know he's a fan, obviously, like us, and, and probably more passionate fan than some of us, let's be honest, because he's been going for so long. His, his great-grandfather played for Villa and all, you know, his whole family's embedded in Villa. So it wouldn't have been an easy decision, but I, I'm just disappointed. And we'll, we'll, we'll touch up on that, my thoughts in a bit and how it's gone and played out. Obviously, on Friday, we saw the £100 million bid came in. We saw Percy reporting that. As soon as the £100 million bid came in, I think I think we knew that there was a reason why that £100 million bid came in. What did you make of the timing of all this, um, which, I, which I sort of talked about uh, in, my, in a tweet that I did yesterday on sort of a long, longish thread? Um, the fact that it was done just before 31st of July and just a couple of days before Jack returned from holiday, whereas I imagine Man City knew all about this clause throughout the summer, throughout maybe even later part of the last season almost. I, I think there would have been negotiations or talks with the agent. You know, Jonathan Barnett is no mug. He's the biggest agent in the world, one of the biggest agents in the world. He would have been having this, you know, hundred million pound transfers don't happen overnight, do they? No. Well, I mean, just uh, touching on a couple of things you said there, uh, Omar. You know, hundred million pounds is huge, and you know, you can argue, well, maybe after the season he had last season, we should be looking at one hundred and twenty million. All of that, we didn't know, as you said, at the point he signed that contract, that you know, we knew what a player he was, but we didn't know he was going to. You know, perform on this the same level as De Bruyne and Fernandez and people like that. You know, last season in a in a mediocre team. You know, let's be honest. Other than Jack, we were you know we we were a mediocre team last season. You know, with some bright spots here and there, excellent defense, excellent goalkeeper, all of that. But there's lots of lots of teams in the league who've got two or three good good players. Um, so a hundred million pounds, British record transfer, but and not by a little bit, by you know what was it, Pogba eighty nine million or something. So it's an extra yeah. eleven million on top of that. It, it's a huge amount of money, and um, you know he, you can't. You can't overlook that at the end of the day. Um, for all the emotion of the who Jack is and what he means to the club and what he means to us as as fans, uh, you know, at the point that he signed that contract, if you put a hundred million pound release clause in it, that does not seem like an unreasonable decision to me. On the timing of it, one thing where one and it's it's minor in the scheme of things, but one 
small area where I would criticise the owners, and I've said this to you before, is around the whole kit launch thing. Um, now, look, the transfer wasn't done at that point. They have all along insisted that they would try and keep him at the club and all of the noises from people close to the club say they absolutely did that right up until yesterday effectively they were still talking to him still talking to his team trying to keep him at the club so with that in mind to a degree you have to behave as though he is going to stay at the club so I, I kind of understand that but just small things like in the in the kit launch, having him with the you know with the words "I love this club" over the over the top of him and all of that, you know, it, it just it, there's no way they didn't know this was coming because it's been all in the papers and uh, you know we can talk about as well a little bit some of the very unreasonable way some uh, journalists have been treated by Villa fans uh, uh, along all of those uh, as all of those rumors have been coming out. You know, journalists working with. Um, with their best intentions, getting uh, criticised left, right, and centre, literally for just writing a story that says Jack might leave when you know here we are, he's left. So um, I, I hope there's some Villa fans who are apologising uh, for some of the, the treatment that they've dished out on social media, but I, I doubt it. I'm probably making myself pretty unpopular on this podcast today, yeah. but never mind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, just quickly, I mean that that so, I mean I, I said the same thing about you know talking about Sam Lee here. And, and I didn't like it. I, I said, I said, why, you know, why are we stooping to that level? He's a Man City yeah. reporter. He's going to report from Man City's perspective. That's all he really cares about. All his sources will be from Man yeah. City. They were confident, obviously, throughout these last few months that they were going to sign him. So that's what he's going to report. I don't, I don't get the abuse. Yeah. I mean, he, I, at the same time, I saw some of the stuff he came back, you know, calling so, uh, calling us a cult and then saying... Uh, yeah, he didn't help himself. Like he didn't help himself. But at the same time, yeah. he called a guy, for example, he called a guy, he looks like someone from the family guy, but the guy just called him a Burke. So, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's just one of those, it's like tit for tat almost. It should, I mean, he's a professional, he shouldn't be doing it, don't get me wrong, but I think yeah, it's... Yeah, he, he should he should rise yeah, above right. the criticism, but a lot of the criticism was unfair and unfounded, is yeah. what I and, and it was abuse. Some of it was abuse. Like, it was yeah, genuine exactly. abuse. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know... Um, so any, anyway, that, that's besides the point, really. So th there's some small things in the protest that the club got wrong. I think, you know, all of the video footage of training that was sort of giving people false hope and all of that sort of stuff, that, that shouldn't be coming out in this day and age. We shouldn't be seeing that. Um, so those are, those are relatively minor things, uh, I, I, I guess, in the, in what, the what, what did you things. make of but that? You can't... What, what did you make of that? Sorry, I just quite across you there. But I mean, the deal gets, uh, the, 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 the bid goes in. Uh, I imagine the reason why it wasn't accepted straight away was because it was probably structured in terms of its payments. Yeah, installments that's, prob that. that's probably what yeah. they've been negotiating. So, you know, Villa are trying to get a big... And it looks to me, from what I can see, that we managed to get 75 million of it up front, which is a staggering amount of money to get up front, by the way. And yeah. then 25 million in installments, which is still, from an FFP perspective, going to be massive for us, which I'll, which I'll touch on in a second. So that's probably part of the delay. Um, but also, then Jack coming to training and not really training... What did you make all that? Because he was just sort of hobbling around, walking around with someone almost like security escorting him around and with the fans being able to be there. I mean, it was very weird to me. I came up with a theory, which now I'm not too sure about, but what did you make of that? Oh, I don't know what to make of it, but it just felt, it all just felt very weird. I mean, he, they were obviously going to have some sort of meeting with him is my assumption. And so that he was at training for that, but 
uh, you know, and he turned up, which is, you know, better than certain Harry, we could say for certain Harry Kane, you know, he did, he did, he was professional enough to turn up and put his Villa training kit on one last time, at least, I guess. Um, But it just all felt like a bit of a farce to me. And I don't think it made the club look good. Um, And and I still think they haven't really made a a statement about it, Um, you know, uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't really know what to make of it. I just feel like it didn't look like the sort of professionalism that we have come to expect from these owners and from Perslow um, and Langer and the like. It just didn't, just didn't feel right that we should be um, in that situation where there's all these conversations happening on the pitch and people you know speculating about what's happening in those conversations and um it, it just it just all felt like i don't know it just felt a bit tawdry to me like a, it felt like a bit of a soap opera and that's the last thing you want your football club to be i think yeah i agree i agree i i, I don't know i mean i i i came up with this theory that it was to try and rebuild jack's image the fact that it was uh you know him trying to make it seem like you know it was a genuine difficult decision. I mean, which I'm sure it was a difficult decision for him, but I, I imagine he made this decision a while ago because it's been in the yeah, thing for absolutely. a while. Um, so, you know, these hundred million, like I said, hundred million pound moves don't happen overnight. These discussions would have been taken for a while. And like I said, there's a reason why that bid went in a couple of days before he returned on holiday, because then it could be done quickly. And there was an agreement that yeah. could be done after the Euros. So it was all agreed. Uh, maybe he had a, a change of a change of heart, and maybe he was willing to listen to, to Villa. But I don't know. I'm not really sure. But then again, then I've been told actually Jack was, you know, was was a, you know, he, he apparently he's an ultimate professional, and and you can see the the staff and the Villa players were all really happy with him, and all exactly the same kind of relationship. So you can't imagine he's burnt many bridges. Um, so who knows? I mean, end of day, it's all it's all rumor mill. So, and I've also I've sort of added to it, which I, I didn't mean to. But anyway, um, well, the the cynic the cynic in me, uh, I, I guess there's a few different cynical angles that you can look at it from. In that, obviously, conversations have been going on between Villa and Man City for some time. Um, a lot of people in the media had been speculating that the deal was done a long time ago, and it was basically just the formalities that that needed to go through. So, so from a Villa perspective, the delay, I guess, makes some sense because you want to get some signings in or have them lined up um, uh, in advance of uh, people knowing you've got £100 million burning a hole in your pocket um, and also to sort of soften the blow from the fans' point of view, which, let's be honest, some of the signings this week have done that for us, So, or at least they have for me. Um so you know, from the Villa perspective, you can you can see it from from that point of view. Um, from Jack's perspective, obviously, you know, even if he'd had talks with Man City and all of that, you don't want all this rumbling on through the Euros when he's uh, when he's playing for his country and all of that. So you can see why he's wanted to wait at least until um, until after that. You know, and I, I think the, the a lot of people have sort of said, well, if this was inevitable, then why let's just get it over the line early and then we've got a chance to build. But I actually think we're better off given we're not short of money to spend anyway um trying to get transfers done agreed lined up before um before everyone knows that money is available to us um because you know uh, people are going to bump up their prices of course they are why wouldn't you so i can kind of see it from everyone's perspective why actually the timing made made sense um arguably city could have made that bid whenever they wanted um 
So uh, it seems to me that all the parties must have had an interest in uh, scheduling it around the time that they did. And if you think about it, you can kind of see benefits for everybody in having done that. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. I mean, I suppose that's a disappointing thing, you know, the fact that it is 10 days before the start of the season or how many days before the start of the season. It's, you know, almost like the Martin O'Neill thing that happened, you know, to come, you, you, you're worried that's going to derail your season, you know, it's going to be a, a big issue for the season. But like, you know, that, that was the disappointing thing for me was the fact that this move was in the offing for a while. Uh, maybe he wasn't 100% sure. Maybe he wanted to listen to the owners first. Maybe the owners thought that they could keep him. I, I don't know. But I just think they'll have planned for it either way, Omar. Like, and I think, you know, they know which players they want. They, you know, uh, some of the signings obviously got done early in Buendia and, and Young. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about the other two that have happened this, this week. But that, to me, those have not come out of nowhere the English one feels like it did a little bit today but you know that the, there's 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 been planning that's been going on and I don't think um because at the end of the day we can't replace Jack like for like anyway we know that we've said that on the pod all season when we've been speculating about whether he might go or not we can't replace Jack like for like um and I don't think we should be trying to um, and, you know, you alluded to Liverpool, Leicester, those kinds of things. Actually, you can end up better off coming out of it um, if you make the right signings with the money that's available. So uh, I, I just think I just think it's a bit of a red herring, that 10 days before the season thing, because I, I just th- I think they know, um, and, you know, and they've acted decisively today, as we've seen. I, I just think they, they know what's going on and they'll have, they'll have planned for it either way. They'll have been hopeful the whole time that they could convince him to stay, but they will have had plans in place on the assumption that he was, you know, 90% likely to go. They'll have known that. Yeah, well, I think that's fairly likely given what happened with Ings. That happened so quickly. Um, that was there was again there was probably a, a, like you say a plan in place that was the that was the replacement they they had in mind or, or or part of the replacement they had in mind and and that's what's happened uh, and uh, you know we'll touch on that now in a second obviously Leon Bailey was the first one to come in this morning and then Danny Ings later tonight it's been it's crazy let's be honest and everything with the press conference last night as well with Leon Bailey's uh, adoptive father Craig Butler which we'll touch on in a second it's all you know been it's been a crazy crazy period uh, and all been out in the public, apart from the Danny Ings transfer, which is mm. what we what we expect of Villa, whereas the Leon Bailey and the Jack Grealish transfer sagas have been all out in the public, which has been completely opposite of what we expect. Um, so we'll touch on the Leon Bailey thing quickly now, but just just a point to, to make before we touch on Leon Bailey, uh, and I'll, I'll do a full pod on this. So I'm going to get Blandy from the Villa Talk uh, Villa Talk Forum, who's, who's who, you know who knows his who knows his accounting and, and knows FFP to, to try and explain how FFP works and what it means for Villa. In, in a fuller sort of more detailed pod. But in reality, just so listeners are aware, what does this mean for Villa? And I, and I, I tweeted this out. I said, it's, it's almost like a win-win situation for Villa. Not, well, it's a it's a win and a not so bad of a win situation, if that makes sense, uh, which is mm. sort of what Matt Mayo from, from the Express was saying. Um, so the win situation is obviously we keep Jack and we've got him, Bailey and Buendia and Watkins as the front four. That is a top four level front four in my eyes with a top four top six level back five already in the mix just with the midfield being slightly weak point the other uh, n- near to a good win situation or what i don't know what the right phrasing is but whatever it is is jack going and us getting 100 million pounds and i'll explain why in in, in a second 
So the way FFP works, I won't go into too much detail, is it's all based on profit and loss. Um, and you're allowed a certain amount of losses every year. Uh, and for the Premier League, it's 35 million. For the Championship, it's 13 million. So they work slightly different. So it's, and it's a rolling three-year period. So you look at the previous three years. With COVID, obviously, that changed things. Uh, and everyone's talking about how you know FFP is relaxed. It doesn't exist anymore. While in pra- practical terms, it actually does, still does exist. It is relaxed, but you can just write off more expenses that are due to COVID. So the loss of revenue, basically. So the loss of, loss of match day revenue, uh, season ticket revenue, you know, things like that, a commercial revenue, sponsorship, et cetera, uh, and TV revenue as well. So those one-off costs you can sort of write off and it gives you an extra year basically. And then you just almost divide it by two. So in the end of the day, it doesn't really make a massive difference. It's just the way that you account for it. So assuming that with and this is the way I've worked it out. And like I said, I'll do a full pod. I won't go into detail now. But the way I've worked it out in my head is Bailey was basically the last big signing we could do with Jack Stain. That was us broadly being in line with FFP. And then maybe someone like Axel Twenze be coming in on loan and maybe with a view to buy or maybe someone else with a loan and view to buy. But in reality, with Bailey coming in, that would be our last big signing. There wouldn't be many big signings. There may be some outs like Conor Hurahan or... Wesley or Algarzi or someone like that, which may bring in some revenue, but but not too much. So that's the first thing to say. Then we're we're rather stuck. You know, that's it. That's that's the end of our building process, and and maybe we get a midfielder on loan or, or something like that. But we, we, you know, we don't really have too much room to manoeuvre when it comes to FFP. It's still a problem, and the fact that our owners sold and bought back the stadium to comply with FFP knows well it makes you think that they're actually serious about FFP. They're not trying to ignore it. So what does Jack Sale do for us? Well, the way FFP works, that 100 million or 75 million up front or whatever it is, hits our book this year. So it's pure profit. He's an academy prospect. So the cost of him is, is naught. So that's, that's a full 75 million or 100 million, whatever it is, into our books. That means going forward when we buy players, it doesn't mean that we can only spend 75 million or 100 million because that's what we got in. It actually means we can spend a lot more if the owners are willing to, to pump up the cash. Because when you buy someone, it's not the same as when you get money in. So the £100 million all hits the account this year. But when you buy someone, that purchase that you make, the money that you spend, is actually spread over the number of years of the contract. So Danny Ings, for example, we bought him for £25 million on a three-year contract. Uh, well, let's say thirty million because there's add-ons and stuff. Thirty million over three-year contract. That doesn't mean thirty. That that doesn't mean that seventy-five million minus thirty million is what we've got left to spend. It actually means that that 30 million is spread over the three-year contract, so it's 10 million pounds per year. So it's actually cost us 10 million pounds this ta- this year, plus his wages for this year. So in reality... Provi- pro- pro- provided, provided we continue to make money over the next few provided, years, yeah. because yeah, obviously... Yeah. That, that, that's just, that's just, this is all assuming that... Yeah, those costs in, don't in, go away. Like Costs don't go that's... away, yeah. We're, it's, it's, all, it's all assuming we're in line with FFP now, so basically we're on the board of FFP, and we still get the same level of match day revenue and TV revenue going forward, and the costs stay the same, which they broadly will with Jack going out, his wages going out. You know, the, the, yeah, I, I think it's a safe assumption to make. But that means that we've still got significant amount of money to spend, and almost the best way to think about it is if you think about the 75 million, 100 million that we've got, you can probably safely assume there's three to four times that amount that we can spend on wages and fees over the, as long as we purchase players on three, four year contracts over the next two or three seasons in total. So it completely yeah. revolutions our club. You know, we, we, could, we can build a whole new squad, which is your point around, uh, you know, building a better squad, building a better team. 
And we've sort of started to see that with Leon Bailey and, and, and Danny Ings coming in. And potentially, you know, there might not be that many more because obviously it's, it's a difficult market to buy in. But potentially over the next two or three years, how excited are you, AJ, for potentially seeing, uh, you know, almost like uh, our squad? Yes, our, with Jack going, he's, he's obviously a massive part of that. But in terms of the overall depth of the squad, the quality of the squad going on to that next level, which is what Leon Bailey is, almost the next level of player that we haven't had yet. Yeah, well, Jack was obviously our strength, but in in a way, uh, he could be our weakness as well. Like if you look back to like the game against West Ham when they just doubled up on him and he was out of the game, uh, and um, uh, and and we just had no clue how to how to deal with that situation. Similarly, when he was out injured, I mean, we talked a bit about last year that after the COVID break, some of the signs of our decline were in uh, in place long before Jack was out injured, actually. Um, and uh, that compounded things, but it, it wasn't the root cause. But, y- you know, you can't you can't ignore the fact that when he wasn't in the team, it took us a long time to figure out how to play without him. So he was obviously incredible and contributed a huge amount, but we were so reliant on him and all of our game went through him. And even if you looked at, you know, things like heat maps and, you know, some of the stats around the direction of passes and all of that, so much of it went down the left just because either Jack was playing there or when he's playing at a 10, he naturally drifts out there that, you know, it almost didn't matter who was playing on the right wing sometimes because they would never see the ball because everything just went down Jack's channel and you know managers like Moyes would figure that out shut down that shut down that left flank and that was that was it that was the end of our threat for that entire game effectively so having players who aren't as good as Jack of course as individuals but are a level above some of the other players in the squad currently come in in the likes of Buendia and Bailey uh, and so on and uh, offering us the ability to threaten from different areas of the pitch and in different ways because, you know, Buendia, his game is uh, not about, um, you know, we talked about this when we signed him, I think, on the pod. His game is not about running at players and taking them on, although he's he's okay at that. His game is about three balls and passing uh, and keeping it moving in tight areas um, and so on. So he's going to offer a different type of threat. And then you bring Bailey in, who's all pace and dribbling and ball carrying um, uh, and sort of, um, uh, you know, chasing back and all those sorts of things you want to see. And he offers a different threat. He offers a huge amount of pace and and, uh, legs in behind and and so on. So uh, you can quite quickly see, uh, and, and as you say, those are the signings we'd already made. You know, that's before we talk about Ings and whoever else might might come in, that despite losing a talisman and a world-class player, there is a path to being a better overall side as a result of that. Now, one thing I will say is um, I think it probably sets us back a year, even with that money, because even if we get all these signings in, obviously they've got to learn to play together. We've got to find out how we're going to play. Do, with do, them. do you think Do you think that's, that's why we've thing. gone for someone like Ings rather than taking a chance on someone like, I don't know, like a... Uh, Someone like uh, a player from abroad, I know Damsgaard has been mentioned by quite a few people uh, as, as a potential player you could replace him. Do you think that's why we've gone for someone like Ings and spent big money on a 29-year-old? I don't know. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I have my reservations about the fee because not only is he 29, but he's injury prone. Uh, and um, 
That's that's an interesting one because I I I said this I said the same thing on that on in terms of injury prone. And he's actually only missed eleven games in the last two seasons, surprisingly, which I didn't. Yeah, realize. but previous to that, you know. So, um, but any anyway, uh, it's not it's not our job to balance the books, um, is it? So he's a very good signing. I'm delighted with the signing. I don't want to, you know. It just feels like, especially twenty five, okay, thirty. It starts to feel like a bit of a push, doesn't it, for twenty nine year old? But any anyway, that's sort of besides the point from our from our point of view. Um, I think uh, it's just Smith's policy in general, isn't it, to sign players who are proven in the Premier League or at least in England English football. And he likes players he's got experience of as well when you think about the Watkins and Concer and those sorts of signings. So um, uh, in a way, it's just a continuation of, of that. But I suppose it makes even more sense to have that policy in the position that we're uh, in, I guess. Um so yeah, I I don't know if it's uh, as a result of the situation we find us in, or or if it is just that that's Dean Smith's preference anyway, which he's expressed publicly on more than one occasion that that's that's how he wants wants to or prefers to approach transfers anyway. Yeah. So so we've seen we talked about Jack. We talked about the timeline. Obviously, that was still going on with the the training and and people thinking whether he's, is he going, is he staying. Obviously, pointing towards him leaving, but people weren't sure. Uh, and then we saw, you know, it all came out that there was going to be a, a press conference that Craig Butler, who's got a YouTube channel, and you know, if you if you watched his last last week, you know, he he took a call from Villa to say that Bailey's medical was all completed in, in Florida or Miami or whatever it was, uh, and it was all sorted. So you know, this was all happening live. It was quite interesting yeah. to get insight. And then the Modern press conference life. was was. Yeah, press conference yesterday on YouTube was delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. Um, and it was mainly down to Leon Bailey's plane being delayed and him not boarding the plane. Uh, but but if you've ever, you know, I, I, I grew up with Jamaican people, you know, uh, it, it's quite a laid back attitude, you know, not a stereotyping a little bit there, but, you know, some people are not like that, some people are, but for the main, that's what it's like. So, you know, people were almost judging their press conference by our standards, uh, you know, uh, which, which is a completely different country. That, 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 this transfer is massive for Jamaica. I don't think people realise how yeah. massive this transfer is for Jamaica. This guy, you know, is best mates with Usain Bolt, good mates with Raheem Sterling. You know, these are Jamaican icons uh, and it's going to be massive for that country. And, and Craig Butler is is a big name in Jamaica, you know, with the Phoenix Academy. They want to make a big thing of this. And and the fact that Villa were, you know, Johan Langer was on that, was on a video call in the press conference uh, whilst they were signing the deal, you know, making sure they're signing the right place. So they were fully aware of it. So all these people saying, you know, this is amateur and it's the Craig Butler came across really bad. I, I, I just don't agree with it. But anyway, let's not, let's not push on that. Let's talk about Leon Bailey. This, this deal was signed last night. It was announced this morning, eight o'clock. Uh, he's obviously, we knew about the deal that it was agreed. Uh, Villa announced it quite early, which is unlike them, obviously with, with the, with the greenish stuff coming out. That's probably part of the reason. Um, uh, and a really exciting signing, isn't it? This is this is a top level caliber player that we're signing here. I don't think people realise this one's been overshadowed by the, the news with Jack. But this is a really, really step. This is a big step up from what we've signed before, in my opinion. Do you agree? 
Yeah, I mean, his output last season uh, in the Bundesliga was, you know, really strong. You know, I think it was nine goals and nine assists. But I think as well, if you include the Europa League, I think he got five goals in the Europa League as well. So, you know, 14 goals and nine and, and nine or 10 assists for the season uh, in one of the top five leagues. You, you can't argue with that. Now, there's, you know, a lot of people say he's still a little bit raw. He can be a bit inconsistent um, and so on. But, you know, how inconsistent can you be if you've scored... 14 goals in a season playing from the right wing. Uh, I mean, I suppose we had El Ghazi score 10 and he was relatively, he, he has his uh, inconsistent moments, doesn't he? So you can see yeah. it happen, but uh, his output is is phenomenal. And then if you look at some of his other stats, I mean, I'm on holiday, so I haven't done my usual detailed uh, stats breakdown that I might have done, but he's, he's an excellent ball carrier. Um, he, he doesn't link up play and progress the ball through passing that, that much, but he's an excellent ball carrier and he retains the ball really well. And a lot of the noise in the media has been around Smith's concern about us losing the ball too easily when we're in advanced positions. Um, so particularly, I think, when we've lost Jack, who's obviously excellent at retaining uh, the ball in those uh, areas, replacing that ability to keep hold of the ball um, is uh, really uh, is a really important factor. He's He's got a lot of pace um, as well, but also his defensive stats. And I think this is where he might compare favourably to Traore, who's obviously the sort of the man in possession of that right, right wing uh position uh, is he, he um, recovers the ball uh, pretty uh, effectively. Um, he's, his defensive impact is, is much higher overall um, than uh, the likes of the likes of Traore um, uh, as well. So it's kind of, you know, we've said a, a few times on the pod, you know, in an ideal world, you'd kind of take the sort of energy and pace and pressing of a Trezeguet and kind of combine it with some of the skills and output of an El Ghazi to sort of give you a more ideal winger um, and it, it sort of feels like Leon Bailey is more in that in that area and, it, and the only surprise to me really is that we didn't seem to face a huge amount of competition signing and there were a lot of other clubs rumoured to be interested but uh, we just seem to have gone in there and, and got it got it done without um, too much faffing about which um, is great and that, that seems to happen a lot with our with our owners, so um, you know, I was, I suppose, a little bit critical of them earlier in a couple of ways, but that that sort of thing um, is what you want to see. And, and I agree with you, mate. Like uh, the press conference and all that sort of stuff. You know, these things these things happen, and people have their YouTube channels these days, and uh, you know, you kind of almost can't control that what's around a player, and uh, you know, if one of his. Uh, representatives is going to take a call live on his YouTube channel. What can you, what can you do? Um, you know, yeah, put, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, at the end of the day, I think, you know, we are talking about you know, why aren't the big clubs coming from, well, they, they almost have, you know, they've, they've been Chelsea wanted him when he was younger. If you read his backstory, you know, he, I won't go into it because a lot of other pods are covered. So I don't want to go over the same ground. That's not, that's not what we're here for, but you know, he's, he's had a really tough upbringing. He was adopted by Craig Butler they traveled to Austria when they were young in the freezing cold. He tried to get in trials everywhere. They eventually ended up at Genk, Ajax. You know, Chelsea wanted him throughout this period, but they couldn't get him. And it seems to me every move he's made from, from going, you know, to buy Leverkusen, now coming Villa, it's a calculated move. And, and you know, it, from what you can tell from what Craig Butler was saying, what Leon said, you know, they're making the right moves at the right time. Now, they expect him, you know, there's mentions of like Real Madrid or whatever. You know, they expect this guy to be a top level elite player. 
Um, hopefully he's the player that helps Villa get to the top four. And that's very much the aim. That's what Craig Butler was saying. That's what Leon was saying. Um, whether he moves on from then, I don't think it really matters too much. You know, it doesn't matter. Yeah. We've seen our, our local boy hero move on or, or, or about to move on. So, you know, but let's just get used to that part of the game. Find, let's, let's be yeah, honest. I just, I find that a bit mad as well, that there's a lot of sort of, um, a lot of people saying, oh yeah, he's got a reputation for a bad attitude and all of that. But you look at his backstory and what he's had to do and go through and, you know, to get to the level where he's, at you know that that doesn't suggest to me that he's a guy with a bad attitude like moving from Jamaica to Belgium when you're 14 to try and get a contract and um you know getting shuffled around clubs all over Europe because you're not old enough to officially sign anywhere and um you know going through all of that and getting to the level that he's at now uh playing in the Premier League playing in the Europa League last season for Leverkusen all of that like you know it, it seems to me like he's a very he's a very committed young man. Yeah, well, I mean, where have we seen that before? Uh, you know, uh, someone getting unfairly labelled as as a, having a bad attitude just because they're a bit flashy. They're from Jamaica and they're a winger. I wonder where we've yeah, seen that. Before. Well, there are there are people who um, regularly bring up racial tropes around uh, Jamaica and perhaps you know suggest they're a bit more laid back than the rest of us and that, Omar. But um, it was it wasn't wasn't me that would uh, that would do that. But some, <laughs> let's not go into let's not go into. Some people do do that. Yeah, it's a it's a lazy stereotype about flashy wingers, especially I think you know. The, yeah, if you if you listen to Leon Bailey's interview, you know, he's a he's a humble man. He's got the right attitude. Um, and you watch him play, you know, he works hard. He's a good player. Um, so I'm not sure about that kind of stuff. I, I, it's, it's all noise to me anyway. But I think yeah, importantly, I mean, you, you, you've, 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 able, you've uh, highlighted some really key stats there. Um, and, and I thought, you know, because you're on holiday, you might not have all of them. You know, Otherwise, you're probably here for two hours with all the stats that you normally have. Um, well, so- I've literally just uh, called those ones from a well-known subscription-based uh, um, uh Newspaper, mate. So, uh, sports no, good paper, work. So. Good work. No, I, think, I mean, I think <laughs> I don't really do any work. I think it gives a good picture. I mean, uh, PGI, PGI Analytics, who, who I follow, one of the many Villa Analytics pages that seems to be out there, along with Villa Analytics, Villa Stato, another one. He, he uh, puts some stats out ranking amongst the Bayer Leverkusen squad. And this is a very, you know, successful squad, a very talented squad. Uh, players like Diabe, who's in their habits, who's been there before as well. Uh, you know, key passes 60. Last season, num- ranked number one. Shot creating actions, 98, ranked number one. Successful dribble, 60, uh, 87, ranked number one. Players dribble pass, 90, ranked number one. Touches in the attacking third, ranked number one, 761. Progressive carries, 176. Where there's no rank for that. But you can see the type of player he is. You know, he's very direct. Yeah. He's quick. He can play on either wing. He's good with both feet. Um, there was a stat going around that he's, I think it was 78% or something like that. He uses his left foot, which is, which is very, very two-footed, you know, because yeah. most players probably use their strong foot about 90% of the time. To use a sem- only 78% of the time suggests it's very two-footed, something that obviously Toro doesn't have. Um, whether he plays on the right or left, I don't think it matters too much. Uh, I think he can play either wing proficiently. He's not. It's very, very rare you get wingers these days who can play both sides. You know, they like Algarzi prefers the left, Toro prefers the right, Trezeguet prefers the right. You know, the, it's very rare you get a player who can play, who can play both wings. Um, so it's it's quite an exciting signing for us. It's a step up, definitely. Uh, we'll have to give him some time, obviously, uh, with any new signing, but, but but definitely a massive step up and really excited to see what happens from there. And the value, I think, is good value. You know, £30 million pounds yeah. for, for Leon Bailey. You know, Jugsy, who's obviously on the pod, on the pod our European scout, 
Uh, he's been raving about him for a number of years. Um, and I think, I'm hoping he's found a level of consistency last season that he can replicate this season as well. Um, and in a day, you, you, you made the point, AJ, that you can't replace Jack. And, and I think the most important thing we need to replace is, is the output and the points. That's what matters in the day. It doesn't matter about the type of play. It matters about the end result. Um, so mm. if we can do that, whatever way we do that, with this change of formation, change of personnel, you know, that's the most important thing. And, and that brings us on to the next signing, which came out completely out of the blue. Well, for most of us, uh, was Danny Ings uh, yeah. just before seven o'clock. Literally, it, it felt like a bit, I said it felt like a bit like Darren Bent, uh, 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 how many years ago, 10 years ago, whatever it was, nine years ago, when it just out of the blue, although, although there was rumors on Villa talking, a few people knew about Darren Bent coming in a couple of days before, but just out of the blue, suddenly we've signed a, a top striker, let's be honest, a, a striker where, who was meant to be replacing Harry Kane, who's going, who's potentially going to, Harry, to Man City for 150 million at yeah. Tottenham and we've managed to snag him. A player linked with Chelsea, a, a player linked with Man United, uh, you know, top level player, one of the best, uh, stats-wise, one of the best strikers in the Premier League over the last few seasons. Yeah. I mean, what what were your thoughts when that came out? It must have been a complete shock, surely. Yeah, I was, uh, I was surprised. I mean, I, as I say, I've not really been plugged into the rumour mill too much for the last uh, week or so anyway. Well, there, there, were, there was no rumours about Danny Ings. I, I mean, there yeah, was... There was a few a few weeks ago, and then the betting changed. So obviously, people knew about it. And yes, there were some texts and messages exchanged, probably with a few people who knew some inside information. But but literally on Twitter, there was nothing. Maybe one or two accounts. That was it. Yeah, I mean, I've sort of said that the fees may be a little bit high, but I guess we've got to expect that in the situation that we're in. And given that there was a lot of clubs circling around him, I'm just glad we've gone in there and got it done. Uh, I've mentioned before I wasn't keen on the mooted signing of Tammy. I know a lot of Villa fans um, you know, would like him to come, given what he did for us in the Championship, but I don't think he fits with the way... We want to play, and I think um, Ings. Uh, you know, I pulled up some of the stats on Ings earlier in the in the WhatsApp, and you know, he's he's a pretty good presser of the ball. He's not quite on Watkins level, but um, no one really is, as Dean Smith likes to tell everyone. He's the best uh, pressing centre forward in the Premier League, whatever that means. Um, but uh, yeah, he's not quite up there. But his defensive um, stats are pretty pretty good. He worked hard, and basically for his entire his entire career, he scored a goal every two games. Um, you know, on a per ninety basis, his uh, his uh, career um, goals are zero point four four. So, and when you think about uh, some of that, uh, uh, teams like when he was at Liverpool, uh, you know, he had spells with injuries, or he wasn't a regular in the side even when he was fit and available. Um, you know, and he's had two of his better years in the last two years. You know, he scored twenty-two goals the season before last. He scored twelve. Um, he scored twelve last season. He also chips in with assists here and there um, as well. So um, you know, he got four assists last season um, and uh, and two the season before. So uh, yeah, it just feels like a really good signing. Uh, really good competition for Watkins gives us the option to play two up or if we wanted to shuffle Watkins out to the left uh, and you know that front a front three of Watkins Ings and Bailey uh, with Buendia in behind who we've talked about again on the pod is a very good presser of the ball as well you know if you were going to play that as a front four the the pressing ability of that front four versus what we've had in the last season for example um it just completely changes the way we can we can 
play. Uh, you know, we talked about at the beginning of last season, or we're suddenly uh, a pressing team, but we never continued doing that. And um, the only player that did really was Watkins, which uh, was helpful in terms of allowing our defence to set up uh, while he chased the ball down and slowed the opposition's advance a little bit, but wasn't allowing us to sort of win the ball high up the pitch very often and then um, uh, and, and then to convert that into an attacking situation. But it feels like we're building a, a front three, four uh, that will allow us um, to do that. And then, you know, if someone like Twanzebi does come in, that gives us the opportunity to sometimes play three at the back as well. And you can see how we could play 3-4-3 or 3-5-2 with um, two genuine centre-forwards up there as well. Um, And I keep saying this, but, you know, don't overlook uh, Wesley as a backup as well. Um, He's got a long way to come back and, you know, we still don't really know if he's good enough in the first place because we did, we didn't really see him at his best before his injury uh, I don't think but uh, you know we invested 22 million pounds in him so he deserves a, a chance to to come on and do things as well I think uh, but it just feels like we've got so many attacking options now which when you've just lost your most creative player in fact the league's most creative player um it seems mad to be to be saying but it does feel like we've got we've We've got a better box of tricks at our disposal. Yeah, no, that's a really good. It's a really good point, and and really interesting. You mentioned there about how we set up and how we play. I mean, uh, let's go to the questions now. There's been so, so many questions around that kind of topic, uh, especially with Ings coming in. Um, just to just to highlight a few, Danny Hoxton uh, saying, you know, does Ings go straight in as a starter? And there's a few like this. So you know, if you know, what system do you think we're going to play? Is he a bench player? Everyone talking about how good our squad's going to be now, which we'll touch on in a second. Wayne Mullen, same thing. What formation do you play with all these players? What can go on the left, potentially? Um, uh, what else have we got here? Uh, Sugar Sean, the source. You know, where does this leave Watkins? Can he do a job on the left again? Viva La Lang, the beautiful bastard. Yes, I like that. Um, Matt C, uh, number one, what in the Sam Holy hell is going on? <laughs> Two, <laughs> what do the signings and statements about Bailey as a striker mean in terms of how we would play? So this is Smith alluding that he's basically said he was signed a young, exciting striker. But I just think yeah. that just that just means, you know, Smith sees his player, fun. doesn't it? Exactly, forward exactly. Player. I, think so. no, I don't think you can read too much into that. He's a, he's yeah. a forward so, player. So a lot of players about, you know, where, where does the, where did the, where does this deal come from? What does it mean? Um, uh, and, and a lot of people saying, what kind of formation do we do we play? You know, Matt C went on saying, you know, do we play like a Liverpool style front three with pace on the wings? Madea is a 10 or an 8. Could we get away with that? You know, where, where do you see Ings fitting in and what, what do you see our, our sort of default formation being? Well, uh, in a way, I'd river, reserve judgment and see who else comes in. Is Does another top quality centre-half come in, which gives you the different options at the back? Uh, you know, I'd still very much like us to see it sign a defensive midfield player, which you know all that seems to be very quiet. But I think a lot of Villa fans have wanted that. You know, for a lot of us and for me included, that would have been their first priority signing this summer. But it seems to be quite quiet on that on that front. I think uh, I think it's nice to have options, so that's that's good. And I think um, Watkins or Ings is. I think, you know, Watkins is the man in possession. I suspect Smith is likely to stick with a similar formation, at least in the first uh, instance. Uh, But I I feel like the equation is not 
which striker is going to score the most goals playing as a centre forward. The equation is how does the team produce the most overall? And with the players currently available, uh, aside from any other signings, you know, I think playing the way we have uh, done in the past in a sort of 4-2-3-1 type formation, um, Watkins on the left and Ings in the in the middle, is Ollie Watkins going to score fewer goals himself playing in that position? Yeah, he probably, he probably will. But you know Ings is going to give you 15 goals a season probably and Watkins is still going to score 10, 15 from out wide, probably. Bailey on the other wing, Buendia in behind. To me, that feels like a pretty good... That sounds excited, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm salivating, honestly, thinking about that. Feels pretty good to me. Um, So I kind of feel uh, like we shouldn't be too um, attached to the idea that Watkins' best position is is a centre forward because I think I think it is I think that's true but I think with those players we've assembled currently probably the best use of that front four is the way that I've just described it but it depends on who else we sign how else we can play you know there's a lot more three at the back going around I think we need a better quality third centre half to to do that um but it does unlock unlock a lot of other options. You know, if you go three five two, you play both Watkins and Ings as centre forwards. Um, so, I think it depends. Uh, but I would not be averse to playing Watkins on the left if we think it gives us more overall as a team, even if it gives him less. I mean, you look at that cross he put in in the Bristol City game the other day. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, if, yeah, I mean, I he drifts. He drifts drift left anyway, doesn't he? Anyway. Yeah, exactly. And and yeah. arguably there'll be more space to do that without Jack um, always mm. over there uh, as well, I guess. Yeah. I'm conscious of time. So there's a, a, so many, literally so many, obviously it's such a, so much has happened. Um, I'm, I'm surprised we've managed to fit so much. We have uh, uh, within an hour already, but there's so many other questions and comments I'll, I'll try and touch on. There's a, there's a question from Jas that I want to touch on as a friend of the pod, uh, but I'll do that last. Uh, but there's okay. a few of the, com- few of the comments I want to just highlight. Um, uh, Fiona Kavanagh, uh, where's Shaw in the way out? We've talked about that already. Potentially, potentially not. You know, still potentially with Davis being injured as well. I guess we'll see. Um, we've talked about Ings, etc. Um, some other other comments as well. So we've just got on a, just on Wes quickly, mate. Though, even if we yeah. want to sell him, I, I don't think we can sell him now. You've got to no, no. It's going to be a loan, isn't to, it? You've got to put him in the shop window somehow, haven't you? Either yeah, by yeah. giving him a few Agreed. minutes here and there between now and January, or uh, by sending him out on on loan. You know, we've spent twenty two million pounds on him. He's still a young guy. Yeah. Uh, I think he deserves a he deserves a chance right, to to show us what I he agree. can do. I don't think he's had that chance. I agree. I completely, I completely agree. And, and, and many people don't. I, I know he gets a lot. No, of hate that's fine. So game of that's opinions. Fine. That's true. Game of opinions. Yeah, which I, which I understand. I'm not going to say you're wrong uh but, but I, I want to see him a chance uh, I, want, I want to see i want to see him given a chance you know i think he deserves a chance um hot diggity d uh with watkins you know you can start him wide defensively allow him to drift inside or drop short whenever he wants and still trust him to get back into position lad has more energy than a barrel full of teenagers hyped up on jelly babies and cans of monster as always hot diggity d with the analogies i like it lizard man 
what a thrilling ride supporting Villa is these days. But you have to say, despite the loss of Grealish, the trajectory is very much in the upwards direction. Very mm. purposeful, pretty quick and fairly lethal. A bit like the signings we are making these days. Long may continue. Bang on. Uh, so just before I touch on Jess's uh, comment, uh, which, I'll, which I'll leave you with, I think one thing to note with Danny Ings as well, uh, which may have gone under the radar slightly. So last year, Southampton, he's playing with Shea Adams a lot up front. But he was playing a lot like a number 10, almost like a support striker. Um, and sometimes yeah. even playing out wide on the left or the right um, and, and pressing pressing as a front three they were. Uh, or uh, Sorry, front two. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't rule out him playing in the hole now and again. I don't know he's not a traditional number 10, but it was almost like a second striker yeah. um, or even out wide. And he can do those jobs equally. So uh, Jass's comment, and this is the last one we'll go go on and, and we'll, 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 we'll push on obviously after that. Um, he's saying, uh, this question is, I think is centered around us being a one-man team. Some people saying that, you know, what, what the base of the results without Jack last season is Dean Smith heavily reliant on Jack Grealish. With Jack Grealish going, is how, how big is the pressure on Dean Smith basically now going forward without Jack Grealish there? Um, well, I mean, we'll see next season. I think Pep Guardiola is going to rely on Jack Grealish, you know, in a way, not in the way we all would have liked, but in a way, Gareth Southgate was re- relying on Jack Grealish to come on and give him something to dig him out of the, the shit a couple of times, wasn't he? So, hmm. uh, you know, <laughs> I don't think it's Dean Smith's fault that he had a genuinely world-class player in an otherwise mediocre team and set up his team around that player it just makes sense for him to do that but I agree it, it creates a, it creates a challenge for him um I think we need to be realistic in our expectations I you know like I said I think losing Jack sets us back a year maybe even two years but I have full confidence that the team currently running the club including Dean Smith will continue to progress us I just think this year um, if we finish in the top half, I think that's a huge achievement this season, given uh, given we've lost our, our best player and one of the best players in the league. Um, so, uh, I don't know. I think there's some pressure there, but I, I think the owners will back him. I think um, he's got this, barring a disaster, barring a situation where we're scrapping for relegation, which I think is highly unlikely, um, given where we finished last season and given the signings we've already made. Um, I, I don't see there being any significant pressure on Dean Smith, from the board at least, um, this season at all. Now, whether the fans will be as patient um, is another question and will depend a little bit, of course, on how we perform. But, um, you know, I, I would hate to see us finish in a similar position at the end of this season to last season and that be enough for Dean Smith to lose his job because I don't think it should be. I think that's a that's a reasonable achievement given the situation we now find ourselves in. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think I, I said this, I made this point uh, a few times. I was talking to Chadzi and Chadzi's gutted. You know, you know, he's saying we have the best player in the league and, and the fact they're not going to be able to see him in a Villa shirt and obviously the connection is, is just gutting. It's just horrible as a fan and I get that, you know, I completely get that. But, I said this to him and I don't know if he agrees and I've said it to other people as well. I think there's going to be some short-term pain, but for some long-term gain. That's that's yeah, the way agreed. I see it. Um, I don't, you know, the, the start of the season is going to be tough. You know, the preseason has been a, a bit of a mess with everything that's been going on. Players haven't arrived yet. You've got likes of Louise. Douglas Louise is probably not going to be back. Injuries, we've had to Bendia, Traore, Trezeguet. Um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a difficult start, I think. Um, I think fans should be, I know we've got a fairly easy run, but it's going to be difficult. I think fans should expect that, but we've got to stick with the, the team through this difficult patch and then hopefully we'll, we'll push on from there. Um, but I, I guess that, that much, you know, that I don't want to push on. I don't want to talk too much more about everything else that's gone on. There's just so, so much to talk about. There's, there's, it's there's interesting so much, though, isn't but, it? Chadzi's, Chadzi's normally the positive one. We're normally... He is, uh, yeah, he is. I mean, he, I think he'll be positive. <laughs> he'll be positive no matter what. But he he genuinely... You know, when I say positive, he's, he was positive that Jack was going to stay. He, he thought Jack would, you know, yeah. turn around and say, actually, I can't do it. You know, I'm going to stay. He had that faith in him. And, and that, that's yeah. kind of like Chadzi's, you know, he's... He has faith in everything that he believes in, um, and that's the way yeah. he is. Which, which is, which is, I, I wish I was like that, but but I'm not. Uh, no, nor me. But anyway, listeners to the pod will well know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, we'll see what happens. Obviously, expected that Jack will will go tomorrow, or at least have his medical tomorrow. Um, we were talking about earlier, weren't we, about uh, the reaction uh, from Man City fans? A mixed bag. Some fans really excited. Um, some fans thinking, why the hell we spent hundred million pound on someone we don't need? Some people think he's overrated. Uh, and we were talking earlier, weren't we, AJ, about Oliver K? Was it Oliver K? Or who was it we're talking about how yeah, Pep's going to yeah, make him yeah. a world world class player now? What would you make of that? Well, I mean, actually, I read the article and I thought, you know, it was a reasonable article in a way, in the sense that we all know, as brilliant as Jack is, he has some limitations that, you know. Smith was happy to indulge because of what he gave us as for a team and allow him to play in a free role and all that. He's not going to be able to do that in a Pep, twi- Pep team, especially if, as rumoured, Pep wants him to be a number eight. Although, given how high up the pitch City play, a number eight is like a number 10 for most other teams. But still, he's he's going to have to... He is going to have to improve and play a different way at Man City. And that was the general thrust of the argument in that article uh, in The Athletic. But at the same time, we're going to hear a lot of this stuff around, oh, look at how, you know, brilliant Jack Grealish is now. He's playing for a a top team and, you know, look at how he's delivering on the top level and he's finally fulfilling his potential and all of that. And if what he did for us last season uh, wasn't fulfilling his potential, uh, then uh, honestly, I don't know. I don't know what is. So we're going to get a lot of that big team, uh, big coach nonsense um, that is likely going to be very frustrating for those of us who've known how unbelievable he was since he was 18 and that in the last two years he's already realised that potential perhaps arguably later than he should have done for sure Um, but nonetheless he is already world-class player which isn't to say Pep won't make him even better um, as he has done with people like De Bruyne, who were already world class when he got his hands on them. Um, but yeah, I think there will be some of that stuff, which will be very frustrating and annoying for for Villa fans who've seen how incredible he is for a long time. Yeah. But anyway, anyway, thanks, thanks for that, AJ. Onwards and upwards. You know, I, I I believe in these owners. I believe in the backroom team. I believe in the management staff. You know, it's like I said, it's a short-term blip. It's it's gutting. It is. It's a horrible, horrible feeling. But we we, we push on. You know, we we move on. We move on. No 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 players bigger than the club. It was a story that we we thought would go on till the day he retired. You know, that, that genuinely that's what I thought would happen. But it is what it is. Uh, but thanks again, AJ, for your thoughts as ever. Eloquent as ever. No worries, um, Maybe he'll be and- back, mate. Maybe it'll be like Sid Cowan's. Or, yeah, know. I don't know. I, I would be interested to see what the reaction is. I think there's a lot of anger out there at the moment. I understand it. Um, I completely understand it. I think, I, and I'm not going to tell anyone how to feel. Whether you think he's no, a legend, nor me, 
know what I mean? Yeah, whether whether you hate him, whether whatever, I, I say, feel what you want, rent if you want, love him if you want. I, I don't care. Do what you think is right. Um, but you know, do, go through your process, whatever it is. But I'd be interested <laughs> to see when he comes back to to Villa Park what it, what the uh, what the reaction's like. Um, and it's going to be so weird, obviously, seeing him play for Man City. And I imagine it was a difficult decision. His family, like I said, are embedded in Villa. It's in their blood, so. I can't think it would have been an easy decision anyway. But we push on. Leon Bailey, Danny Ings here. Twenzebi, imminent, apparently. And maybe one or two more as well. It's an exciting time to be a Villa fan. Exciting time to to watch this team grow and, and hopefully push on and go to that next level. So thanks again, AJ. Thanks to listeners uh, for your time. Good to be back. Good to, to vent and talk it all through. We'll be back at some point next week. Uh, I'll try and do the FFP special at some point as well. Uh, but apart from that, please just subscribe and follow uh, whatever, on whatever podcast platform you're on. Follow us on Twitter at Villa Podcast, all one word. Um, uh, I'll announce a competition winner from uh, Didier Cease, Didier Six, whatever you want to call it, from, from last uh, last season. Didier Cease, yes. Uh, so we're going to have a, we're going to ha- actually have a, a, a face off or a, what do they call it, tiebreaker. Sorry. Uh, between uh, Rodvik Humble and James Rushton, who are the uh, well, two of the three people to get uh, three out of three. Um, Wasn't the, th- the third Mitchell. person Daryl Daryl Mitchell, uh, Worcester, former Worcester captain of Worcestershire. Uh, CC. Fair enough. Um, too big time. Couldn't, couldn't. Too big time. Yeah. So um, those two are going to do a tiebreaker. I'll announce it on Twitter at some point over the next couple of weeks when I get a bit of time. Uh, but thanks for listening. Thanks for your time. And as always, up the villa. Up the villa. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it.